Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the increasingly yard sale looking second floor of the AC building, it's election shock therapy, refugee edition. What I what I love is that it's not so much like a yard sale as it's like the day after the yard sale where you yep. just put like yep. a couch on your front lawn and say free and just yeah. hope somebody yeah. takes it. Yeah. Yeah. Please take yeah. this away. So, gentlemen, uh, what we're referring to here is that we're all going to be moving. Um, We've mentioned that a couple times in the podcast, but the offices we're moving to have significantly less shelf space for uh, than the ones we're in right now, which is yep. sort of a traumatic experience for academics. And what is your strategy for getting rid of books in your office? Uh, so far, I haven't gotten rid of any. I've only been accumulating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been passing doing out it books wrong. Today. Doing it wrong. <laughs> Andy, what's your strategy for for, for pulling your book? You know, I'm trying to go through and. Find the ones that I just haven't been using. I mean, because honestly, I've been here now. This is my sixth year at Bethel. Mm-hmm. If I haven't used it in six years at Bethel, the odds are that I'm I don't really need it. There are some that I want to keep just because I might actually, for personal reasons, want to read them at some point. Um, but a lot there's a lot of books that are duplicates. There's a lot of books that are just you know aren't that relevant to what I'm doing, or they're just outdated. And so frankly, I don't need to have a copy. Um, so I'm kind of starting to think about calling those books. I haven't gotten very far in the process, but I do have I have put together two boxes with Chris's help. So. Let, let me ask both of you this question: Do mm-hmm. either and, and Sam is here too? He has a meeting, but he hasn't I'm, I'm going to leave real soon. <laughs> well, let me ask all three of <laughs> you this because I have a feeling Sam's answer might be different. But uh, do you keep any bad books for sentimental reasons? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. Could you elaborate? What are some of the sentimental reasons that might cause you to keep a bad book? Um, so I have a co- I, I, I have uh, a handful of books that I read uh, very early on when I was uh, either the very beginning of college I think um, that actually at the time had like a big impact on me mm. um, but in hindsight are are books that I do, don't no longer regard as being good books mm-hmm. sort of like those first albums you owned as right a young team mm-hmm. right too. Mm-hmm. yeah okay but but I hold them I mean I, I'm definitely not letting them go I mean because they were a big deal. Sure. Uh, mine is mostly for humor purposes. It's fun to pull out a right, a, yeah. like a something that's, especially if the title leads it leads you to be like, yikes. <laughs> for example, yeah. uh, I can't think of, of something academically, but like my wife and I used to buy. Um, so this is more of like a in our home decor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We used to buy books that had really strange like they were often like weird cheap romance novels that had really strange titles or strange covers and like you would wrap it and give it as a gift and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah. I think there yes. was one there was one that was called A Little Bit Pregnant that we had for a while <laughs> wow and I, and I, that, so that is a good title so it it's, it's fun to like uh when you have people over and you have your bookshelf and you know when you have people especially when you're younger you know your first four or five years out of college like and people come to your house you want to impress them with your book so you put right. out like the, the books that look impressive. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. so those are sitting out. And it's, so we would do that, but then you would also drop a little bit pregnant. And it's just like, yeah. what? So it was a little bit pregnant about the 2000 election in Florida? Or? Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. That's what yeah. I thought of. And with that, I will leave you. <laughs> 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 well, um, we 
we all here are a little bit pregnant with the Mueller report. Um, <laughs> wow. Wow, that was a terrible transition. That was so I weird. apologize. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're, uh, election shock therapy broke the glass today to talk specifically about, um, the Mueller report dropping and, um, much like the rest of the world, we have not read the Mueller report, right. uh, yes. because we uh, our last name is not Barr. So, um, but like the rest of the world, that's not going to stop us talking about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is, we, I am going to keep constrain you guys, um, okay. because that's as political funny. scientists, we're not going to, uh, Verge into punditry here. We're not going to verge into what we think the Mueller report says or what we wish the Mueller report says <laughs> um, or anything like that. Or what the Mueller report might have said if it was written by somebody other than Mueller. Right. Yep. Exactly. The Mueller report is written by James Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Or a little bit pregnant as written by James <laughs> Joyce. <laughs> I bet it would have been a better book. It probably would have been. <laughs> However, a little, bit, a little bit pregnant written by Proust? No. Not so much. <laughs> not better. Not better. <laughs> My wife actually took a, a grad course on Proust when she was in grad school. On purpose? Like, oh on purpose. She ended up in the it class was a full course on Proust. Yeah, no, she was in French. So. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so I got, I got second It's got to be Proust. better in French, right? It's got to be better I, in French. I can only hope. I didn't, yeah. I just, I only experienced secondhand Proust, and that was enough Proust for me. I saw secondhand Proust at South by Southwest. Yes, yes, that yeah. was available. <laughs> they were not very popular. Apparently. No, there was plenty of seats. <laughs> All right, we're a little punchy today. You can tell um, it's probably because of all the dust from cleaning the out our Mueller offices. Report is always already out. Yes, it's it's Mueller so Report exciting. Christmas. That's right. So, uh, all right, gentlemen, <laughs> let's 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 get a little bit more serious here. Let's talk about this. Okay. Uh, what <clears throat> do we actually know as political scientists now that the Mueller report has come out? Uh, I mean, there are several things I think that we at least somewhat know. <laughs> so, I mean, the things that we know, first of all, and I think maybe this is. Um, maybe this is the most substantial thing that we know is, is, is just that it's over in this. I mean, in the yeah. sense that in the sense that Mueller isn't going to be issuing further indictments. Right. That's that's right. The, that's the big one. And yeah. um, basically what that what that means is essentially uh, Trump, Trump and his family. And I think this was the this was the biggest yeah. question are not going to be indicted, at least by at least by Mueller. Correct. And yeah. so that's. Um, and so that's a big step. I mean, yeah. if if nothing else, that that shows that um, uh, you know there's 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 essentially a cloud of un- you know as, as the New York Times said, a cloud of uncertainty has been lifted off mm-hmm. of the off of off off of the president. I think um, in some ways, you know, and and this is what I was uh, I was thinking about this a little bit when I was talking to my classes yesterday. You know, in some ways, I think this might be the biggest moment for the Trump presidency so far in, mm. in some sense. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the reason I would say that is this, I mean, I, cause I was thinking about this over the weekend as I was reading the reports and, right. and the, and the four page summary from, from bar that we have, you know, I was trying to think about like what, what, what would be better? What would have been a bigger moment for Trump so far in his presidency? And I was trying to think, I was like, it was, you know, you could think about the tax pol- right. you, know, you could think about the tax policy, but you know, and I think we've talked about this before in some ways, the tax policy is, is kind of, uh, despite the fact that it was a large tax overhaul, mm-hmm. in some ways it's a small potatoes type of 
legislative sure. uh, ac- accomplishment. You know, yeah. it's pretty and easy. Not a surprising when giving his party a control of the House and Senate. Exactly, it's it's pretty easy to get mm-hmm. the, the Republican Party to cut taxes. So that's not a big deal, right. in many ways. Um, and in addition to that, you know, I was thinking about well, you know, we have the summits with North Korea, but those both fizzled. Um, yeah. We yeah. think about uh, some of his efforts with Russia, but those have become incredibly murky and yeah. tortured. I mean, so you know, I was just trying to go right. through it. I was trying to think like, what is a bigger deal? What has been a bigger deal for Trump over the last two years? And there's the national emergency. There's the national emergency. Messy. Exactly, that's been extremely yeah. messy. And the travel ban, possibly, yeah. maybe. But 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 here's what I was thinking about. I mean, you know, you think about this moment. I mean, this is this is sort of the moment when Trump actually feels like, at least in some sense, I think I think there's sort of a sense that Trump actually can feel um, or claim justifiably that he that he is legitimate in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been mm-hmm. this question of whether he is legitimately the president, and you know, for better or worse, I mean, this moment seems to indicate that yes, like yeah. um, yeah. he 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 can claim this. There's not right. going to be. Uh, it, it seems that. You know, despite the fact that Nancy Pelosi had said before that she wasn't going to bring impeachment um, hearings anyway, this this seems like this is the moment to really say that's not going to happen. Um, and you know, in some ways, while that's kind of a low bar for a president to say mm-hmm. you're not going to be impeached, mm-hmm. um, in, in in Trump's case, given all of the uncertainty that's been yep. surrounding him, that actually seems like a, an extremely big deal. Yep, right. I I agree with that, and I think. Um, and it's very timely for him because, I mean, here we are, you know, sort of end of March of 2019. The Democratic field, as we talked about recently, is growing, right, to oppose Donald Trump to sort of try to get the nomination to, to run against him. And right now the economy is still doing pretty well. Um, he's got this cloud lifted from him, um, and he can turn his attention to running for reelection, which I think is yeah. what he's probably going to do. I, I do think he enjoys the kind of campaign more than the, the governing. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, that sense very timely. The other thing, I mean, like Mitch pointed me to the, 538 sort of take on this. And so they, they emphasize, obviously, the fact that, you know, Trump and his family are not being indicted, as Mitch said. The other thing they said that was huge, and I think I agree with this, is it also removes the possibility that Trump fires Mueller, right? Because he's right, done. Right. Um, and, and that was right. a big thing. You, know, you can't like, fire me, I quit. Yeah, the president <laughs> really, at times, seemed to want to fire Mueller. He seemed really irritated by Mueller's investigation, mm-hmm. even though, of course, obviously, his own appointee had appointed Mueller. Um, and it, in that sense, precludes Trump kind of from his own self-destructive tendencies. He's sometimes shown um, he, he can't do that anymore. And that's, I actually think that's pretty huge, right? So if there's any, if there's to be any investigation of Trump going forward, it's going to probably have to be partisan, right? And that and that's a different animal. He can't fire, you know, <laughs> members of the House if they choose mm-hmm. to investigate him, for right. example, which which could happen. Um, and But but he also can frame that as partisan in a way that right. he certainly tried to do yeah. with Mueller, but it's it's more convincing, right? If it's a Nancy it's Pelosi, v- it's very hard. Person. It's very hard to paint a lifelong Republican uh, head of the yeah. FBI as yeah. a as a Democratic hack. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. Mueller was such a you know he was he's a figure who had such Republican. a good re- <laughs> exactly yeah he had such a good, and he had a good reputation across lines before this for sure. I mean, people have been and retains one I think and, and I think yeah. retains one. Although he, people have been frustrated with him on both sides at different points, right? Um, and certainly Democrats are kind of frustrated with him right now in some ways, but just in part because they didn't get what they'd hoped for out of this. But but I think he does, I think that's right, I think he retains that respect, um, and any f- investigation going forward is more likely to be partisan, and therefore mm-hmm. is going to be easier for the president to paint as, you yeah. know, as something that is in motivated by things other than just simply a pursuit of justice. It is interesting to note, though, that the president is um, entering into some uncertain verbal gymnastics mm-hmm. uh, because for two years now he's portrayed Robert Mueller as 
um, biased and stocking yep. his investigatory yep. investigatory team with Democrats and uh-huh. um, sort of you know just this uh, out to get Donald Trump. And now right. that he's basically been um, relieved of being of at least of the collusion charge. Right. Yep. Right. That um, he simultaneously was talking about how the process was illegitimate, but yet the process um, exonerated him. Mm-hmm. Well, those mm-hmm. two things probably are antithetical to each other. Right. It's either yep. an illegitimate process or it exonerates you. you got to pick one. Yep. And it will be interesting to see what sort of narrative the president himself settles on as he moves forward. And yeah. um, This isn't really new for Trump, though. No. I mean, as far as, as far as that goes, you know, I mean, there were, there, just going back to his election, I mean, there were millions of... Uh, illegitimate votes, but he also won right. a the great victory, the vote. biggest possible victory. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's just he's always, you know, sort of talking out of both sides of his mouth in the sense. Like, I mean, there's this sort of, you know, there's all these these false claims that are, you know, they'll be directly contradictory to each other. Um, and this has been well documented by you know numerous fact checkers, right? So, it, yeah, I think I think you're right in a logical sense, but I also don't think that kind of thing constrains Trump in the slightest. So, okay, um, and in, yeah. and. The, Again, it doesn't seem to bother his core supporters. So, well, that was how big a deal it is. That's the other question I have here: uh-huh. is from what we know about public opinion, and what we, and obviously, I'm, I don't want to get you into speculation here, but mm-hmm. do you anticipate? Do I hypothesize that this episode, that this ending of the Mueller investigation, will have a big public opinion impact? I don't think so. I, yeah, I, I, agree. I, I so I, one of the things. Um, you know, and th- there's there's been a little bit of polling about this, but most people don't care ha- and haven't cared about the Mueller investigation. Um, so the fact that it's over, maybe Trump sees a little bit of a bump. I mean, just in the sense that you know he's yeah. going to get a few good news cycles out of it, where you know you get a lot of him and his supporters. He's comparatively high in terms of his overall job approval rating compared to his right. histor- historical numbers. Yeah, mm-hmm. right yeah, um, and so yeah, so I think he gets a bump. Um, but one of the questions is how you know how long does that last? Um, yeah. You know, and and you have to think too. Like, um, I guess I guess the way to think about this would be would be to say is was the was the Mueller investigation somehow suppressing people's approval of him? Were they mm-hmm. were there were there people mm-hmm. out there who might have approved of him if they had thought of him as legitimate, but were still waiting and, right. and thinking that the jury was still out? I don't think right. I think that pool of people is pretty small um, that were still kind of waiting for for that. Um, and and when you think about like you know the kind the kinds of things that people usually care about. I mean, it's the economy and the right. economy is still, mm-hmm. is actually mm-hmm. relatively good. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that, so that if nothing else, it's going to be really, I think it's going to be really hard to tell the difference actually between a boost yeah. um, from the Mueller report, if his numbers go up a little bit and a boost from, uh, you know, the fact that the economy is doing well and the fact that, uh, you know, there's a bunch of Democrats fighting and that looks unseemly and things like that. I mean, Trump is about to actually really enjoy the fruits of being, uh, you know, the incumbent president and being yep. the only voice on that side. Um, right. So we may see a boost, actually, Don't I think, about Bill Weld, just from that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can go ahead <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think he may see a boost just from that. I mean, yeah. as attention yeah. turns away from Mueller, especially and towards the Democratic candidates, we're going right. to see the Democratic Party, you know, which is just I mean, this is the way things go. It's not that, you know, but we're essentially going to see a lot of infighting um, mm-hmm. as the Democratic Party party tries to figure out who their who the nominee is going to mm-hmm. be and while that will give them a lot of press coverage um, will also not be the kind of press coverage that really lends to people saying oh yes I feel so warm and fuzzy and happy about right. uh, these things you know because it'll be a lot I mean it'll inevitably involve a lot of squabbling and infighting and name calling and whatever else uh, sure. that goes along with this and uh, right. Trump will actually have the benefit of uh, you know basically not looking like the only person who's squabbling and name calling 
You yeah. just said Trump's going to look like the only person who's not squabbling and name-calling. And I just was struck by that statement. Um, <laughs> Although, I mean, they, I, well, he's probably going to be name-calling, too, I was going to say, not the only one who's not. I was saying, not the only one who is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, Trump's going to name-call, right? He's yes, oh, yes. No, no. He's, he's already. Democrats. I presume. <laughs> although, honest, although, tell right? me, you, I mean, you tell me if you think this is accurate or not. I'm just assuming that Trump will be an active participant in the Democratic nomination process. Oh yes. Oh yes, I think that's true. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, sort of, you know, this peanut gallery from the sidelines. Yep. Uh, yep. Casting. Um, yeah. Casting br- uh, brick brickbats. <laughs> yeah, at, and at all sides. And there's yes. this question of like, how much do they turn and engage him, and mm-hmm. do they, you know. Yeah, do they they play that game? And I don't know what that does. I mean, like it's yeah. going to be an interesting interesting factor. I mean, cause I just don't remember I, incumbent presidents doing this as much. I mean, I don't you know, remember like Barack Obama or George W. Bush or Bill Clinton getting involved or um, mm. in in the you know race for the person who opposed them. I mean, like, obviously they eventually opposed that person who emerged, right? But right. I don't remember them being right. kind of active in that process. But I think it's, he will. I think he in, will. In sniping. past cycles, it's usually a news story. When the incumbent president first reper- refers to their opponent by name, yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's often something that that president yeah. defers as long as possible, yeah, and uh, that's just not going to happen right. this time because that's the power again, the power of incumbency. Like I'm the one you chose. Mm-hmm. Right. The default is you should choose, probably choose me again, right? Right. right. Um, but yeah, it's so we have the candidates on the Democratic side running for office, and one of the big decisions that they will have to make is how to orient themselves relative to the president. Uh, um, Donald Trump has capitalized on populist anger, mm-hmm. and some of the candidates on that side appear poised to try to match him um, in terms of populist anger. And a few of them have taken the other tact to try to marshal essentially the happy warrior motif to sort yeah. of be the uh, sort of the kinder, happier, gentler mm-hmm. channel George H. W. Bush um, mm-hmm. version of the Democratic Party. And so on the mm-hmm. one side, on the on the angry, more populist side, I think you see people like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth yeah. Warren. Um, and I think on the happier warrior side, you see people like Cory Booker and uh, Beto yeah. O'Rourke and mm-hmm. um, perhaps Pete Buttigieg, uh, right. who, by the way, Surgeon is getting a moment. Yeah. I know he is. He's third. He was third in the latest Iowa. I can't remember if, if we actually on the podcast have set, have discussed your um, tangential relationships to Canada. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I've never met um, Pete, but he was um, my mayor, mayor. Mayor Pete, as mayor Pete. <laughs> yeah, Mayor Pete um, was my mayor for uh, less than a year. He was elected um, in my last year in South Bend, so I was mayor for about six months, I think. But then my closer connection is not only that he was my mayor, mm-hmm. but his dad was a professor at Notre Dame and was, in fact, my wife's graduate director um, during her time as a Ph.D. student or part of her time as a Ph.D. student there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know, I mean, his his dad. We just um, haven't met, actually, Mayor Pete. So um, so that's a fun little so you, connection. So if, all, if everything goes according to his plan, you might know the first dad. I, I might know the first dad. <laughs> and it's, and it's, um, I went home and told Sarah last night about the poll. It has Mayor Pete in third in Iowa. And I said, I said if he if he gets in, you know, we, we totally got to sort of try to hit up um, his dad, Joe, for <laughs> tickets to the inauguration. Because <laughs> that would definitely be my closest yeah. connection to any president. But he's got a little ways to go before he gets to the White House, I'd say. His retail <laughs> politics um, are excellent. Yeah. Uh, um, his um, 
he's he's incredibly polished and is if if yeah. not if he doesn't do well enough to raise the money or uh, yeah. um, or to compete for the presidential stage he set himself up very well as a VP ticket candidate. Yeah, and he, well, and I will say this for for Mayor Pete. I mean, he is I think he is right about what he did in South Bend. I mean, South Bend mm-hmm. was a town that was kind of run down in a lot of ways, and you know I liked it even despite its rundownness. But I, I think he has rejuvenated the town, and so in that sense, like I think that narrative is true. Um, I also think that he's really smart. I mean, he's a kind of Rhodes Scholar. You know, he's he's you know he, he in that sense, if, if there's a kind of Barack Obama equivalent, that kind of like I am really smart, path breaking. Um, very, very polished, right? I mean, like, he's that, and young, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's kind of that guy. Um, and like Barack Obama, he's also kind of lightly experienced. Now, Obama had been in higher office, but in some Correct. ways you could argue Buttigieg has actually done more in terms of sort of a record of accomplishment than, than Obama had. I mean, Obama had, you know, been kind of more of a backbench legislator um, before he became president. So, you know, in that sense, uh, Mayor Pete's a really interesting candidate. He's really young. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and we'll see too. I mean, again, he's first kind of openly gay candidate for a major oh. party nomination, so we'll right. we'll see how that plays for him as well. Me, uh, um, but also someone who's interestingly facile in talking about his faith mm-hmm. and how his mm-hmm. faith informs his decision yep. to yep. to marry his partner, right? Which again makes you know him a, a kind of equivalent to Barack Obama. He's not talking about his faith in the way that. Obviously, mm-hmm. Republican, most of the Republican electorate would want to hear, but right. but he's certainly not someone who shies away from that topic right. either. Yeah, it's an inter- um, interesting move. So it is, yeah. it is, um, and I think you know, like insofar as Mayor Pete has a chance, I mean, again, you probably can thank Donald Trump, right? I mean, like I don't think without with Donald, without a Donald Trump as president that you'd really give him a shot as this kind of mayor of a relatively small city, mm-hmm. um, but. Again, we elected Donald Trump as a country, right? Who had no political experience. Mm-hmm. So really, electing a mayor of South Bend is. You know, you can argue that's a lot more government experience than Donald Trump had, and you'd be right. Um, so I think it makes it conceivable that you could nominate him. Um, I'm not saying they're going to, but right. I think it, it, <laughs> it makes it easier for him to make his case because, hey, I'm more qualified than Donald Trump was. But, you gotta like but in this season of the NCAA tournament, it's fun to think about 14 seeds and what they it might is. do. And, <laughs> right, and they, in fact, we right. have 14 right. people to seed in the Well, let's steer away from that. I promised I, I promised the beginning of our conversation today we're going to talk mostly about the Mueller report. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to yeah. return to that. And I do want to, too. So one thing I think worth saying is it seems like the Mueller report is – um, precluding the possibility of, or not the possibility, but the, they're, they're saying there's no evidence of collusion, right, um, between Trump and Russia. And so in that sense, I think Mitch is right. Like, it's this makes Trump's presidency legitimate in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't getting Russia to cheat on his behalf. Not that Russia didn't do anything, but at least it wasn't right. Trump asking them to do it or working with them to do it. What it doesn't preclude, it seems like, is the possibility there could have been obstruction of justice. Mueller goes more vague there and just says, Mm -hmm. I didn't find evidence of that. I am not saying it didn't happen. I can't exonerate him. Yeah, it just, it was all too messy, which again with Trump is not terribly surprising probably. So um, insofar as there's something for, I think, Democrats to latch on to if they want to continue an investigation or launch Mm -hmm. a new investigation, um, that's something they can look at and say, you know what, maybe we need to look further, right? Maybe mm-hmm. we need to try to dig deeper and see, did the president uh, obstruct justice? Right. Uh, I think the problem for them then becomes, you know, like you could make a, a very strong case that Bill Clinton, in fact, you know, in some ways obstructed justice. That was the case the Republicans made in, in the late 90s. And the Democrats rejected it for reasons very similar to the one I would expect Republicans to make right now, which is that, you know what, we're generally happy with how this president's doing things. The economy is strong. Why should we rock the boat? Yep. Right. And... Um, and the Democrats will have to fight against their own, you know, sort of their own arguments from two decades ago if they want to pursue this further with Trump. Yeah. So with that in mind, 
Uh, we got the, we've got candidates doing one thing, but we also will have members of Congress in the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. specifically the mm-hmm. House, yep. doing yep. something else. So moving forward from here, we already know that there are multiple other investigations mm-hmm. of the Trump administration being launched by people like Jerry Nadler, mm-hmm. uh, Elijah Cummings, and others in the House. Right. Yep. What do we expect Democrats to do specifically with the Mueller report? I mean, the first thing, and this is uh, the big, uh, so I think this morning, I can't remember which one of the folks that you just mentioned, was basically saying that he wanted to see the full report uh, within six days. Yep. Um, and so I think that's the first order of business for them is to yeah. get as much of the report uh, at least available to them um, and probably as much of it public as possible. Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing to sort of, even though I, it would be astonishingly foolish on the part of Barr to have said that there that, that the Mueller report contained no evidence of um, direct collusion without if, if the report didn't say that. <laughs> right. um, and so I imagine that that's true. It would just be it's be sort yeah. of beyond imagination that that's not true. But what will be interesting, and this is where particularly people have raised eyebrows, is what exactly did Mueller say about obstruction of justice and yeah. how much evidence was there? And if Barr, as some folks are wondering, has sort of soft peddled this and has yeah. and is essentially trying to gloss over that because right. and, and essentially tr- using his summary to sort of emphasize, yes, there's no evidence of direct collusion. Um, and so therefore, we're just going to sort of quickly walk over the <laughs> right. obstruction stuff. Move um, along, move along. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I think the you know, the Democrats are probably rightly wondering yeah. what exactly does this say how much mm-hmm. evidence is there and if there is a substantial amount of evidence um then that certainly warrants further investigation and, right. and examination right. um you know one of the things that i think one of the trump administration's talking points here recently has been um if there's no underlying crime then you can't have obstruction of justice which is simply untrue um that's that's just factually wrong um, ask martha stewart Right, exactly. If there is an investigation going on, even if there is no underlying crime, and you attempt to stop that investigation, that itself is a crime. Yeah, right. um, and so that it's a very kind of, bizarre crime. It's a bizarre crime. <laughs> but it is a crime. Uh, right, and it's it's one of those things right. where uh, I think I mentioned on this before. I I'd, I'd recently heard the law enforcement term term hanky. Um, or hinky, and it's it's where it's where you can't quite it's hinky, yeah. It's it's where you can't quite um, confirm that there it's 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 where behavior doesn't inherently mean that a crime has been committed, but you can't think of another good explanation for it. So <laughs> if something is going on, right. if somebody is doing something, but mm-hmm. you're like, what are the reasons why they would do that? It doesn't prove that they've done a crime. Circumstantial evidence, right? It's it's yeah. classic circumstantial evidence, but you can't understand why they've done it if they haven't done something wrong. And oh, so, if you've read as many murder mysteries as I have, <laughs> people act in very strange ways. But anyway, but that so <laughs> but, but that keeps going out at night around midnight and digging up right. a small patch of his yard and burying something. Exactly. Um, I'm I you know I can't think of a good reason why that might happen. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That is he, um, he so it therapeutic. Right. Right. Yeah, but it's, but it's good cardio. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, so one of the things. So that's the first thing to look for. I mean, the first thing to look for is what does the report actually say? How much of this becomes public, and especially mm-hmm. how much of it becomes available to members of Congress? Um, and I think, and I think the reaction from that will be uh, probably telling. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the things just to note as well, you know, despite the fact that we and and the media and and of course the Trump especially administration have said there's no evidence of collusion, I think it's important to sort of 
pr- say sort of two caveats on that. So number one, yeah. there's no du- there's no there's no direct evidence of collusion. I think it's sort of important right. to ca- have that caveat. In other words, the, Mueller wasn't able to find uh, what we might think of as like a smoking gun, an email right. or a con- or a direct confirm. Uh, conversation or a credible witness that could testify to it, right. things like that. But that's a really high bar. I think one of the things yeah. to think about is, and particularly, you know, not, not that this is necessarily a bad thing, but our legal system has extremely high bars um, mm-hmm. for, for for acceptable mm-hmm. evidence. And so one of the things to note is, you know, people walk on crimes all the time. And so this doesn't mean that this actually didn't happen. It just means that there isn't, uh, you know, this really high bar for evidence wasn't met to say that it didn't happen. So I think that's the first thing, the first thing to note. Um, And then the second thing to note is, uh, you know, as some have pointed out, there, there isn't necessarily, even though, even though there isn't evidence that, that there was like behind the scenes collusion, mm-hmm. the fact that President Trump publicly asked Russia to actually intervene itself is somewhat uh, of an invitation for collusion in, in mm-hmm. itself, even though it's public. Um, and so that's where things get a little murky in terms yep. of thinking about, yeah. you know, and where, and so when the Trump administration says there's full exoneration, yeah. that's, that's, that's a pretty uh, stretchy claim at best. Yeah, I would say, that. I mean, it's a, it's a, pretty big overstatement mm-hmm. in that sense because it it does seem more like you know again saying we can't prove this mm-hmm. right and yeah. and we again our, our legal system is all about innocent until proven guilty right exactly and so this feels like a case where it's like we're not sure you're innocent but we can't prove you're guilty right, right. and and those are very different things than saying no in fact we know very confidently you didn't do anything right it's just more and, and again with like the way the trump campaign was run the way Trump himself operates, I mean, like, it's not surprising that this whole, like, this whole thing would be very messy and it'd be very hard to pin down sort of what mm-hmm. happened, when it happened, who met with whom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that makes it, you know, in fact, the, just the way he operates would probably make things kind of hard to prove, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah. so it's, yeah, we don't want to overstate this. Like, this is a good moment for Trump because it doesn't cause many direct problems, but it doesn't right. mean... They're all going to go away. There may well be when the report's released. There may well be, you know, enough there t- for the Democrats to say we're going to launch a House investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Even and and Pelosi may, you know, even though she has said I don't want to do this, in some ways, like she might be pushed to do it. Enough of her caucus mm-hmm. says no. We really think you need right. to for, go go into this. I mean, you know, she she has pretty good control of her caucus, but she could get pushed from below. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's a big difference. I think where Pelosi really wants to avoid, and I think probably rightly so she wants to avoid impeachment hearings yeah. um yeah, right. but there's not necessarily i don't i don't know that it necessarily harms the democrats to launch investigations right mm-hmm. um investigations themselves i mean one of the things to think about is you know the republicans spent you know uh, how many investigations were there of benghazi like oh yeah i mean yeah. 30 major hearings mm-hmm. and or th- yep. maybe even yep. more than that actually and anyway uh you know so enormous amounts of resources right. and time yep. spent on something yep. that they eventually had to conclude that they didn't have again substantial evidence of of wrongdoing um, and that didn't seem to harm them. And in right. fact, it seemed to help them um, in some ways with their, particularly yep. with their base. And so mm-hmm. it seems like the Democrats, especially since there seems to be, you know, a lot more, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, smoke, uh, you know, there seems yep. like there's there's a lot more to investigate yep. there. And when we say smoke, what we, mean, what we mean by this is even though the Mueller report does not indict Donald Trump or members of his family, uh, the investigative process that Robert Mueller launched has yielded indictments of a mm-hmm. number of individuals. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in several cases, convictions. Yeah, right. And Cohen's and going to jail. Manafort's going to jail. Exactly. Those are very close to Trump. Right. Um, and right. That's a big deal. Right. right. And, I, and I think that's the other thing. And this is what I've been trying to emphasize as well in, in thinking about this, both to my students and also to other folks, is, you know, 
this the whatever you think about Mueller and the fact that he ultimately didn't you know concluded that he didn't have evidence to indict Trump on you know uh, collusion with um, with Russia his his uh, investigation yielded enormous results and found oh, yeah. enormous yeah. amounts of wrongdoing mm-hmm. um, in Trump's close inner circles and that in itself is an enormous service I mean yep. to be able to you know once again if we believe that we are a nation of laws and you know particularly um, if we if we think that our constitutional liberties hinge on the fact that even leaders are subject to the laws um, it's extremely important to have people in power and particularly mm-hmm. the people very mm-hmm. close to those at the highest reaches of power ultimately held accountable to the laws mm-hmm. um, and so this is an important moment where you know we essentially that ought to be celebrated as a moment where we say yeah the powerful even the powerful are subject to the laws and will go to prison um, when they break them um, and so that in itself is something I think that you know this is this is this is a good moment for that mm-hmm. what other investigations or are there distinct investigations that uh, US political scientists are paying attention to now that the Mueller report the most high-profile investigation has now wrapped up oh definitely the stuff in New York <laughs> okay. um, the New York prosecutors uh, so one of the things and this is the other thing to note I mean this is why Trump is probably crowing a little bit prematurely is <laughs> um, Robert Mueller uncovered a number of areas that he indicated at least in the what little we have in the public documents um, of pretty serious criminal activity on the part of uh, the Trump the Trump uh, organizations mm. and some of the Trump family and things like that, things mm-hmm. to do with their finances and the way that they've run their businesses and things like that. But he's, from what I understand, at least he he indicated that these things were he felt were beyond the purview of his mandate and his investigation, and so he shuttled them off to what he thought were the more appropriate prosecutors mm-hmm. um, and the evidence that he had, um, and he turned over the evidence they had to them, and so uh, it. It seems that there may be more um, coming down the line um, for the Trump uh, family and organization uh, from what we might think of as more more mundane uh, type of crimes. Right. <laughs> you know, similar perhaps to mm-hmm. what Manafort uh, himself was convicted of. Things like uh, basically tax avoidance and financial misrepresentation. Financial misrepresentation exactly. So right. those kinds of those kinds of crimes that have already landed Manafort in prison and may well uh, also extend to those who are close to Manafort, namely the Trumps. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think that. And, and, and frankly, I mean, like, again, I think you, we, it's worth commending Mueller for that. Right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I think one of the dangers with these in, these independent investigations is that they just kind of morph into like a sort of you pursue all mm-hmm. sorts of things like, oh, you know, it's like you just keep chasing rabbits. Right. Like, oh, look, there's another one. Like, let's go after that one and see what yeah. happens there. And, and so you can think of Ken Starr. Right. I mean, he's <laughs> the obvious example where this stretches on for like four and a half years. It yeah. goes way out, away from kind of where it originally started. And not that Ken Starr didn't find anything, he did, but you right. can raise some real concerns about like the way he did it, right? Uh. That, that this isn't what you were charged with, right? Like mm-hmm. where he yeah. ended up was at a very different place than what he was, he started out to investigate, right? And so I think Mueller has rightly avoided that and said, you know what? I was charged to investigate something very specific. I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna wrap that up. As I see other things that are wrongdoing that I'm concerned about, I'm going to note them. I'm mm-hmm. gonna, you know, follow up on them in the sense that I'm going to pass them off to people and say, hey, you should look into this, but it's not my job to do that. Yeah. And that, that to me, I think is, you know, I, I commend him for that. I think that's a job well done um, to both denote it, but also to say, I'm not personally going to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And Mueller probably has some personal desire to be done with this too. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's he was supposed to be retired. He's in his <laughs> 70s. He retired from a, you know, a pretty intense job mm-hmm. um, and, you know, came back to, to serve his country for a couple of years in you know, a position that earned him lots of flack from both sides. So uh-huh. um, I'm sure he's kind of glad to be washing yeah. his hands and going back into private life. Yep. 
Much like Ken Starr now, perhaps he's looking for a university president. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Mr. Mueller, we have an opening. We do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would make a splash. Um, yes. <laughs> all right. In all seriousness, uh, now I want you to sort of take the big picture look. Um, stepping back from the Mueller report, stepping back from uh, the, the ins and outs of what, what isn't, isn't there, is this investigative process a normal feature of American pro- politics or is this an aberration in the political process? It has become so. Yeah, I, I th- well, I think it's I, yeah, it's sort of both in some sense. I mean, it's it's <laughs> stop that. Yeah, well, it's okay. So You're so nuanced. I know. Well, it's 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 an aberration in this sense. We okay. don't always have a special uh, counsel investigating investigating the president. Thank goodness. So right. So that's so in that sense, it's it's it is an it is an aberration. Um, we haven't really had a full blown special counsel investigation since the Clintons. So right. You there know. have been some minor special investigations. Valley Plame, for right. example. Exactly. There's right. a few others. But, yeah. right. but there hasn't been a f- yeah. This this is so, the biggest one since Ken Starr. Right, right, exactly. And so we don't normally have this kind of massive um, investigative process right. going on. So in that way, it's very abnormal. Um, on the other hand, uh, particularly since Nixon, it's become more yeah. common to want to really look deeply into what the president is doing. Um, you know, and you think, of, you know, again, you can think about Nixon. You can think about Iran-Contra. Iran mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, you know, you kind of go down the line, and there's been a number of presidents who have found themselves in legal hot water um, over some some dicey actions. Yep. Um, um, and and so about half the presidencies really since yeah. the Watergate era. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it's become a little bit more normal to uh, really kind of hold hold the president's feet to the fire mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, in terms of looking for for legal wrongdoing, mm-hmm. whether it's by a specifically, you know, some kind of special counsel or special investigator um, or whether it's, uh, you know, serious uh, investigations by Congress um, and, you know, basically their their efforts to uncover wrongdoing. Yeah. Okay. It's in, it's interesting too. I was just thinking about the different investigations. Um, the Trump one does feel, as we're reflecting on it today too, a little bit like the Reagan one, right? In the sense, mm-hmm. like, um, I think there's a lot of differences, obviously, between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. But one of the things that is similar is that they're they're not the tightest managers of mm-hmm. people, right? I yeah. mean, um, right. I think Reagan had better judgment, a lot better judgment in terms of like <laughs> the kind of people yeah. he hired and put in high office and so forth. But but Reagan, by all accounts, was not really a details person, mm-hmm. right? He didn't right. get right. into the details of government. Right. I think he was very good at casting a, a big vision in a way that Donald Trump isn't. But mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, like they, they both weren't very good at managing people. And they sometimes gave mixed signals about what they wanted. And so I think, you know, when you, we dug into Iran-Contra, the conclusion was ultimately the president didn't engage in wrongdoing. But that maybe there created a, there was a sort of sloppy managerial space that right. allowed this to right. happen, um, and so that at least you know again this is pre- these are preliminary because we haven't seen the actual report, but that seems to be at least some of what's going on here too. I mean, why was there so much smoke? But we can't find the fire, right? Right. And, right. and part of it at least does trace back to the fact that Donald Trump handles things in a really sloppy way. Um, mm-hmm. The Clinton and Nixon. When you, when you say sloppy, can we can we put a <laughs> can we put a finer point on what sloppy means? Because which uh, essentially what you're saying is that. Donald Trump, by virtue of his bombacity or mm-hmm. by virtue of mm-hmm. his various uh, sort of innuendos to his supporters or to yep. his chief yep. advisors, indicates his preferences, but then leaves up to them to determine how to execute those preferences. Is that what we mean by that? Sort of, except that his preferences aren't wholly consistent either. Right. Like, okay. I mean, he'll express one preference and then the other, right? And they mm-hmm. and they might be directly contradictory. And so then you have to kind of decide which one are you gonna which one are you gonna act upon, right? right. I mean, 
And then kind of is he responsible um, for what people do? You know, is he responsible for what Michael Cohen or Paul Manafort is up mm-hmm. to, right, um, when they're, they're doing these things? And you can make a case, if you're sitting there making a case for Michael Cohen or Paul Manafort, that, you know, like this is, I mean, this is not inconsistent with what right. the president or then candidate Trump, you know, kind of wanted, right? Um, so you can understand why they might have done things, right, in a particular way, thinking they were, in fact, acting on Trump's behalf, right? Yeah. You can also see Trump's case. Well, I told him this other thing, too, which mm-hmm. is probably also true, right? You know, <laughs> knowing what we say hear Donald Trump say in public, I mean, right. it would be no surprise if he says the same kind of things in, in, in private, right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, th- then you, the question of responsibility gets really, really murky. Um, so I'll give a I've been on a 12th century kick recently um, and okay. a bunch of 12th century uh, f- sort of fiction Things historical fiction about from the 12th century right and, um, and and also history I mean it's just been fascinating I've read a number of books recently and just it's been fun but one of the big events of the 12th century was um, the death of Thomas Beckett right um, mm-hmm. when Henry um, the second the king of England um, had Beckett killed or not right um, <laughs> because what Beckett said is well no one rid me of this troublesome you know priest right and so then some of his supporters were like aha and they went off and killed Beckett right murdered mm-hmm. him in his cathedral mm-hmm. right um, Archbishop of Canterbury and you know it's huge huge controversy right because Henry was like I didn't say to kill him right mm-hmm. um, which is true he didn't right but you can understand why his supporters thought like we will be pleasing the king by killing this troublesome priest right mm-hmm. um, and right. you know so then Henry had to make penance and all this stuff later right but um it's it's relevant, I think, in the sense that you know, th- this that reminds me a little bit of sort of what Trump does, right? It's like, you know, he gives these mixed signals, and then are you supposed to act on this highly terrible thing he's telling you to do or not, right? Mm-hmm. Or should you listen to the other, his more measured moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can understand why it's hard if you're Michael Cohen and you're there to fix things. Yeah. So, all right, I got Thomas Beckett into our podcast. <laughs> about that. Me too. I feel like, I, Thomas I feel like that's a nice high point to maybe wrap this up on. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I agree. <laughs> and when Thomas Beckett and Henry II are your high point, <laughs> that tells you something. Well, um, it's not. Well, no. Nah, so. <laughs> I was going to try and do a Beckett-Muller tie, and I'm like, no, it's uh, not worth oh. it. Because you haven't been on a 12th century kick. I haven't been on a 12th century kick. Um, but uh, thanks, guys. Uh, we'll be back in your feed sometime fairly soon uh, to um, talk f- further developments in the electoral process. Um, oh, we yes. still don't have a Joe Biden declaration yet. He inches right. ever closer to inching ever closer. But he did say um, at one point he was running, but then he said he wasn't. Like, Wait, I wasn't supposed to say that yet. <laughs> <laughs> the classic Joe Biden fashion. Right. Oh, man. <sighs> he's already no. gaffing it up. <laughs> he's he's gaffing up his announcement. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be like the NCAA yellow brackets <laughs> on the women's side, right? He's going to accidentally release a press release and be like, wait, wait. I was supposed to say that first. <laughs> <laughs> oops. Oops. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully not Rick Perry oops. Yeah. No. Well, Joe Biden is more articulate than Rick Perry. Oh, yes. Yes, he is. By far. He's, and far more loquacious. Yes. Um, all right. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be back in your feed soon to talk about uh, more electoral politics as well as more things that political scientists observe as they think about the political world in the United States. On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. You can always reach out to us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and go Royals. <laughs>